Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jane. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connection through our favorite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Dalrut people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. I would also like to acknowledge Mana Whenua of Te Awa Kitai, where I'm recording today. Ooh. <sighs> Beverage Goblin? I saw that. That got served to me again on Instagram, and I thought of you. <laughs> Beverage Goblin. Always have to have three drinks. I've got tea, I've got watermelon juice, and I have coffee. What have you got today? I've got a cold brew coffee and a peppermint tea. Yum. Perfect. I love my cold brew. I love cold brew also, but since we got our little espresso machine, I have been firmly back in latte land. (laughs) Simon thinks it's the present that I got him that we've used the most. I'm like, I really like that I got this for you and you make me coffee every day. So yeah, I was going to say, what a self-serving present. My dad Mm -hmm. is a king of giving those presents where it somehow always benefits (laughs) him. I mean, one year my mom got a paint sprayer for Mother's Day, but she was like, I did want him to paint the house. So like, it's a win, right? (laughs) Sure. I mean, if that's what it takes, then that's what it takes. So funny. Amazing. What sparked joy for you this week? Well, it has been a pretty light week for joy. But this Mm -hmm. morning, um, my homie and I went to pick up outdoor furniture that we bought that we have wanted for months. And we've like tried different ones, sat on different ones. We really like this set. We were like, no, we'll wait, we'll wait, we'll wait. And then yesterday, my homie happened to be at Mitre 10 and she said it was half price. It was on sale for half price. So she's like, surely, surely we get it. And I'm like, yes, so we did. But we had to rope in another friend who had a tow bar so we could get the complimentary trailer to bring it Mm -hmm. home. So it was a whole excursion this morning. But anyway, now it's in the garage and we just need to put it together. Yay! Outdoor furniture! I'm so excited. Then I can come to your house and ride on your porch. <laughs> it's just like such a weird adult thing. I'm like, oh, I don't really like that we're doing this. Adulthood is so weird. The things you get excited about and the things you have to do, but like the way that our lives get better by doing these really weird things, it's just a Yeah. Marvel. I was like, should we get a ladder while we've got the trailer? And my homie was like, yeah, I would quite like to look in our gutters. And then she was like, wait, I can't believe I just said that. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> This, this is who we are now. Lean into it. Fair enough. Knowing the state of one's gutters is actually quite important, especially in a rainy climate. Well, there's a lot of hail and a torrential rain the other night, and we it just like poured over the gutters. And I'm like, do we think our gutters are full? But I think it was just coming down so quickly that it, and the hail Filled was just them. filling it up. So wild. Anywho, um, what sparked joy for you this week? I had a mixed week. I think mixed bag as well. But yesterday I caught up with my friend Joe, and we had coffee and. It was just really nice to spend like an hour. We both dropped our kids off at gymnastics and then like went to a nearby coffee shop and just chatted and she wanted to complain about some stuff and I wanted to complain about some stuff. So we each kvetched to each other for a bit. And like, you know, those friendships where you're like, this is my safe person and I can just let's just tie our hair up and like get right down to brass tacks. These are all the terrible things. And they go, oh, I totally understand. These are all my terrible things. Like, I love that Joe and I have that. So it was really nice to just catch up with her. And- Um, We used to get coffee every week, but it has been really hard over the pandemic to do that. So Mm -hmm. even though we're now kind of in a post-lockdown society, it still hasn't picked back up. So I was glad that I was able to, like, have coffee with her. It was really nice. Oh, nice. Love that. Oh, it's so nice to catch up with friends. And then we started reading Blue Lily Lily Blue, which is my favorite of the Raven Cycle. 
feels like catching up with friends. <laughs> it does. It feels like getting back somewhere very comfortable. I'm glad we're back in Henrietta. Yeah, excited to kick off season 10. So mm. yeah, let's just get straight into it. This week we're reading the prologue through to chapter 5 through the theme of loss. So mm. big thing to start with. Do yeah. you have a story of loss? We often associate loss with like grief. So it's like we had something or someone and then we've lost something or someone. But I think there's a really unexplored facet of loss where it's like you never had something. So you never had it to lose it, but it's still not yours. You still feel its loss. You feel its absence. And I think this is what Adam is dealing with. And it's certainly something that I felt when I was growing up. Because I grew up in a working class household. But when I was really little, my parents were okay. And then they weren't. So right about the time you start to be aware that like money is a thing, my parents had to file for bankruptcy. And it was a really terrible time because like they had all these babies. And my dad was working out of town. And my grandmother got sick. So my mom was like really struggling to keep it all together. She was like the linchpin in our family. There was just no time. But I sort of translated that in my mind to like, oh, every time I ask for something and she says no she can't do that for me. As I grew up, I started to like associate the lack of money with the lack of comfort, the, lo- the lack of things. So there was this loss of like, oh, I-, I can't ask for an instrument to do band at school because it costs money. Even though I wanted to play an instrument, learn to read music, like I felt like I couldn't do that. I had this self-imposed loss of opportunity. And like when I brought that up to my mom years later, she was like, well, why would you think that? I paid for your sisters to get instruments and learn in school. And I was like, well, yeah, but that was like seven years later and we had more money then. There was this idea when I was younger that I couldn't ask for these things. I never doubted that they loved me, but I really felt like they resented me for needing things that cost money. And I never really asked for things I wanted because of that. So I would ask for a lot of little things or low stakes things if I didn't Mm. need it as much and they said no it was like I could argue about it and maybe feel a little better about not getting something but it wasn't like what I actually wanted anyway so I was trying to treat the symptoms rather than the disorder which was like I had needs that weren't met and I had self-imposed this on myself to like save them from knowing that I knew that we were poor (laughs) yeah which is so dumb but the true loss I think was that I lost the faith in my parents to provide for me I lost the sense of security that kids are supposed to have that their parents can look after them and I don't want to like sugarcoat that. I don't want to say like it was okay because they loved me because they did love me, but it wasn't okay that I couldn't see a dentist for five years. Like That wasn't okay. And it wasn't okay that I didn't really know how to manage money because my parents had a really fraught relationship with it. Even though my mom is okay with managing money, I never learned that because it was always something that I was like unnaturally aware of as a kid. Mm. And by the time I was 14 or 15, I knew I would have to get myself out of that income bracket, I guess. I knew that I would have to leave in order to do anything with my life that would make me more comfortable. But when I got to adulthood, I really struggled because it turns out that when you don't have adults who can support you into adulthood, you really struggle to be an adult. It took me so much longer and it was so much harder than it needed to be. The transition to adulthood should never be as hard as it was for me. And I don't want to say that, like, I had it the worst of anyone. Like, there are millions of kids who live in straightened circumstances and I had it pretty good, comparatively good. But it is true that I think I experienced real loss. And I think that not Mm. having money was a huge part of that because when you don't have money, everything costs more. I can't ever fix the ways that things were hard for me and my family. It is what it is and it sucks. It sucked then and it sucks now. But I think the only way that I found I could move forward was by doing my best to make sure that I didn't repeat that. So with my kids, like they can do any sport they want. They just have to, I've, I've said, you can try anything out, but you have to commit for the year because I think that's fair. But if they've done it for a year and they're not happy about it, then we can stop. Um, mm. If they need new shoes or clothes, they get new shoes or clothes. Like if they need glasses, they don't ever have to panic that we can't afford new glasses because we can just get them. And 
this is because we are comfortable. This is because we're financially secure. I never want my kids to feel like we can't afford something. I will tell them sometimes that I don't want to pay for something, but I will put it in a framework like, well, I could buy you this right now, but then we wouldn't be able to do something else that we want to do later. So I'm trying to give them financial responsibility, but it's hard. I don't know if I'll ever get over the loss of the childhood that I wanted to have. I think that is something that is going to be carried with me my whole life. That I'll always feel sad that my parents were stretched six ways to Sunday. When you don't have enough resources, there's a bigger loss at play. It's not that you lose out on opportunities, but you lose the time and the comfort and the like ability to relax and be safe in the knowledge that you're cared for. And I think that is something worth keeping in mind, especially when I look at Adam, this, this book, because he's, he's pulling himself away. But he still really feels that loss of opportunity. And I think that, you know, he, he hasn't figured it out yet. He hasn't figured out how to navigate that loss yet and how to get past resenting other people who don't have the same losses. But he'll get there. I got there. It took a long time, but you do get there. Loss isn't the end, but um, it's really hard to see that when you're vulnerable. I think what you're getting at here really is a loss of innocence, right? Yeah. It's this period when you were a kid where you're supposed to be free of these worries that you have in later adulthood. Absolutely. You know, like not worrying about where things are going to come from. You're supposed to just be vibing, basically, going to school, learning yeah. things, vibing. But when you are in an environment where things are tougher, you lose that innocence a lot quicker, yeah. which has an impact on you in various ways that you probably don't even understand until way later, right? Maybe even until you have kids. Oh, for sure. For sure. One of the things I'm probably guilty of is the overcompensating, like too much stuff all the time. The last couple of years has been a real lesson to me. Like, actually, do do they need 15 sets of underwear? <laughs> like, do they really need that much? No, they really don't. Mm. I do laundry every day. I don't know why I have to overbuy on their clothes. But I know why. I know it's because there were times when I had five pairs of underwear and they were all in the washing machine. I can trace it back to mm. a specific instance in my childhood. Not wanting them to experience that because I know how hard it is to make mm. yourself be resilient. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you for sharing. But I want to be better to Adam this time. This is what I've been thinking. Oh, okay. He's going through a lot all of the time. He sure so is. It's certainly an interesting one. Okay, well, shall I do our chapter summaries and then we can crack on with this? Yes, please. Cool. So when we last left our friends in Henrietta... Mora had disappeared, leaving only a cryptic note. Glendower is mm. underground, so am I. She wishes she'd been a little more specific now that she's stuck. <laughs> On the surface, Adam and Persephone work together to hone his abilities. The Gangsy decide to descend into a cave in Cave's Water where Gansey has a panic attack and they decide to reconvene at a later date. The Gansey then go to collect Gansey's friend Mallory from the airport. He's newsy and dreary and very old. Adam, who is more than he was, is still chafing at the realities of poverty. Back at 300 Foxway, Keller and Blue miss Mora ferociously. Persephone isn't helpful to Blue, who calls Gansey for comfort. This is probably illegal. And Gansey seeks Adam out for comforting friendship. And Adam confesses that he's glad they're not fighting anymore. Um, yeah, so a lot in this chapter. A lot of loss, I thought, too. And a lot of connection all tied up together. We're, we're back to our main theme of connection for the series, which is one of my all-time favorites, I will say. Yeah. Should we start with Blue and Gansey? Can we talk about... Can we do our little blue? I just sure. <laughs> you just you just want to do it, but that's fine. <laughs> I'll indulge you. I love that Gansey is so aware of the connection that they have, but he's also like trying to mitigate the potential loss of the whole friend group by like not indulging this connection. But he also can't help mm. but like reach for her. I just it's doing stuff to me, man. It's making me have all the feelings. I. I love it. I love that they're in the car and he puts his hand think... down and she like they squeeze each other's fingertips and they like quit mm. quit doing that really quickly. I think there's a loss of friendship throughout 
this, mm. right? You've kind of got that thing where Gans is a bit concerned about like what this means for the friend group, but also specifically like Blue has that moment where she says Rodan has changed and that in a way has made her more equal in the friend group because it's yeah. like they know him a little bit less. So there's a loss yeah. there, but also Gansey feels that way about Adam, right? Like he's different and he doesn't really know what's going on with him and he talks about how he's staring at Mallory in an entirely un-Adam-like sort of way, yeah. right? And so he has to snap him back out of that. There's this like real uncertainty around what they are now all to each other. So there's that kind of undercurrent of loss from of the familiar. But you also have Kala and Persephone really wrestling with the loss of Mora and what she means to them, right? Yeah. And that loss of a friend. And that beautiful repetitive line where it's like, but if Mora had been there, she wouldn't have needed to. So I just think there's this like real undercurrent of like loss of a friendship and the loss of not knowing everything about mm. your friend. And even Adam and Blue talk about how, you know, they see Gansey with all this used equipment and they're like trying to make it make sense. And they're like, oh, yeah, he had a whole <laughs> life before he knew us. And that's a weird sense of loss, too, where you're like, oh, I am not this person's whole world. Right. Right. One of the things that always struck me was when I met my husband was that I had missed out on so many of his like younger years I was like I can't believe I only met you when I was 20 like that's so dumb because we're <laughs> we're almost 40 now but like <laughs> but I really felt it I really felt I was like sad that I had missed out on all of this life that he had lived before I knew him I, like I think I have a lot of friendships where I'm like why didn't I meet you when I was 15 like you just sometimes you feel that loss of like wanting to know someone for longer and maybe that's tied up with this knowledge that we have as we get older we have less and less time but I love that they just exist in this present so thoroughly that it actually shakes them to realize that like, oh, hey, he had a life before us. Like it actually didn't start in this way until he showed up for all of us. I don't know. He's the spark to the powder keg or something. He's, he's what started them. And I think it's an interesting and valuable lesson to learn as well that connection can be maintained despite loss. Mm. I think a lot, especially as your friendships change as you get older, you know, there's this idea I, I recently watched, I think it's called Wellbeing mm. um, on Netflix. What's her name? Is this the Celeste Barber? Celeste Barber, yeah, her series. It's very good. But there's this one bit where she talks to a friend and she's like, do you think we would have been friends if we'd met now? And the friend's mm. like, probably not, because they're very different people, but they met in high school. And this friend takes some time to think about it and she comes back and she's like, it doesn't actually matter because we have a shared history. It doesn't yeah. matter whether we'd be friends now. We are friends. And I think that is something that you learn as you grow older and your friendships change. Maybe you don't talk to people as much as you used to. That doesn't mean that the friendship is not still valuable or doesn't still have something to offer you, even though you are very different people now. Yes. There is loss, but there's also connection. Yeah. I think this is where Adam is at right and where even blue is sort of observing this about ronan being different like you they are changing and growing they're at that period of their life where everything happens so much in such a short time like that's what being mm. a teenager is but adam is like preparing himself for loss like page 28 he's like even in a group he was slowly perfecting the skill of holding himself separate and then further down he says there was something comforting and anxious about the way the ley line twined through him now he could no longer tell if it was merely a powerful friend or if the power was now actually him like he's letting himself drift away because he feels like he's got to take this separate road he has to change he has to go in a different direction and Gansey's like aware of it as well like he, he notes that you know he's on one road and he's still on that road but adam has taken a fork and i don't know if that's necessarily true i think that we are able to take different roads but still stay in in contact like the growing together is part of what makes it important and like maybe you do lose who you were at 15 but you can still be good friends at 17 or 27 or 57 but it's it's also an act of choice right they have to be okay with losing that moment in order to like continue on as friends and change and grow together 
Yeah, I think I, I agree. But I would say that in order to do that, you need to have a sense of who you are. Like even if you're taking mm. a different fork to your friends, you need to be confident yeah. in the fork that you're taking. You need to be confident in who you are as a person. And I think what we're seeing in this section, Adam is still dealing with that loss of his sense of yeah. self. He's still trying to make it make sense in his own mind, right? Yeah, for sure. And I think Gansey is as well, because he's got this blue thing now, mm. which is like kind of challenging the way that he views himself and views his place in his friend group. So that is also like a little loss of a sense of self in a way. Yeah. One of the things I love about the series is that we get this whole other life that Gansey had, but there's like no way that it actually makes sense. <laughs> like there's no way that he's actually been able to do all of this. Like he's a 17 year old kid. There is no way. He's just had a very adventurous life. Okay. He's 10, 10. We'll never forget. <laughs> It is interesting that he feels like Henrietta is his home and he's more connected to that place than any other. And like, he's really scared. I, I don't know if he's really scared, but he's really relieved when he recognizes that the connection between him and Mallory hasn't been lost. Like they still have that mm. connection. It's just different to what he experiences in the gang scene. So I really love that there, there's that comparison drawn. Yeah. Because Mallory is just like, whatever. I mean, he's very fussy, but he's also very like, whatever. <laughs> um, which is kind of great, honestly. I will just give Gansey a shout out because there is nothing more anxiety inducing than when you bring your various disparate friend groups together and you're like, oh, how's this going to go? Like, you never know how your friend groups are going to mash. It's just anxious. Yeah. You know, it's just an anxious thing to do to bring your friend groups together. Yeah. And especially like when your friend group is composed of Ronan and Adam and Blue, who are all very salty people. And you bring this like random old historian yeah. in. I do love that Ronan's just like, he's so old. Yeah, so that's interesting because I actually had a real revelation with that thing because I know it's like, lol, Ronan. But mm. I think because this section really made me think about the loss of a parent because yeah. Blue thinks so much about Mora and her departure and then she makes that link with Aurora, right? She's like, oh, what must it have been like to grow up with a mother like that? She would never have left them. But Ronan yeah. did lose his mother. Mm. He got her back, sure, but he lost her and he still knows that she isn't what he thought she was. She's something else. Yeah. She's a dream creature. So there is a loss in that. He also lost his father and he makes that old people comment with Mallory, which I think is reflective of his isolation because in a way, because he doesn't have family beyond his brothers. He has never seen someone he loves grow old. He yeah. has no experience with old people. Yeah, his grandparents are back in Ireland and like they don't come there. We find that out in the, the Dreamer trilogy. He's very much on his own. And kind of in an island of youth, yeah. It really is just him and his brothers. And I think Blue really sums up the grief that comes with loss on page 14 when she says, you know, the most infuriating part about Morris's disappearance was that Blue didn't know if she was supposed to be consumed by worry or anger. Mm. She vacillated wildly between the two, occasionally burning herself out on feeling nothing at all. Perfect. Yep. This is very much what it's like to be a teenager. And I love that Blue's finally going through it because she's always been... Not exactly a teenager-shaped teenager. Yeah, I just think it's actually, it's got nothing, like, it's not being a teenager, it's just grief. Like, I'm currently in what I have deemed breakup season because about five people I know have split from their partners in the last month. And so oh, there's no. a lot of very sad people around me. Mm. And this is exactly what they're going through. It's like worry, yeah. anger, and then sometimes just feeling nothing at all. And it just is the cycle that just keeps going and everyone's on a different time period. And I think this is just what grief is and this is what loss is. Is yeah. this just emotion that you can't control yeah i just think there's a practicality about blue where she's able to sort of reason her way through a lot of things and this is sort of the first time that she's experienced something she can't reason her way through so you know she knows that she doesn't have money and she knows that she doesn't have like a cell phone or whatever and like it's fine because she just doesn't let herself want those things but when she's 
like now faced with the loss of her mother, the uncertainty, not knowing where her mother is, that's when she's actually kind of like stuck because there is no way to logic through it. She just has to feel it. Got to ride the wave. Yeah, that's one of the real hallmarks of youth is that you're just subject Mm. to feelings that you don't want to deal with because frankly, they suck. So there's this loss of certainty as well. Like you can pretty much put everything else down as like, oh, I don't want this, so I'm not working for it. Or I don't want this, so I don't have it. And it's fine. But this Mm. is something that she's genuinely lost and she doesn't know if there's an end date to it. So it's uncertain. And I think there's a narrative we create to deal with loss Mm. as well, right? To make it, whether that's a situation, like maybe you lost an opportunity at work or whether it's someone you've lost or even just your confidence that you've lost because of whatever reason, you start making this meaning around it. And I think in a way you always want to be the exception. You always want to be the first person to ever feel that before. Like, I think we see this with Maura when she talks about going after Artemis, right? She says on page nine, 17 years before she'd let Kala convince her that he'd merely run off. Maybe she wanted to be convinced. Deep down, she'd known he was part of something bigger. She'd known that she was part of something bigger, probably. Mm. And then Adam, when he has that thing about like, oh, Gansey was a coward. He says on page 29, he felt like he needed to reconfigure every conversation he'd ever had with Gansey in light of this new knowledge. It's mm. like how we reframe things when you lose something because you're trying to make it fit a story that you're telling yourself. You can't just feel the feelings. Yes. Yeah. I think part of growing up is sort of accepting that you led with a feeling rather than the full picture or you have to recontextualize things like that's hard for anybody I love that. This is one of my favorite moments of Adam's, though, is that he's like, oh, I, uh, I'm i actually going to be a little bit human about this. And it's because Gansey showed a weakness. Like, it cracks me up that Adam is so particular about... His, he feels like he's better than all of them in some ways. And he despises Gansey for things that Gansey can't control. Like, Gansey doesn't control where he comes from. He doesn't control his family's wealth. But he wants to help. And Adam feels like this is an affront. But yet, when, when Gansey is, like, incapable of getting out of the pit, he's like, oh oh, you are a person, like you are a human being. I kind of love that that's this click moment where he like clicks into it like, oh, wait, he's just a kid. Like I'm a kid. I love this moment Adam had where he was talking about his mm. dignity, right? So he's waiting in line and he doesn't he doesn't have the money to pay for the entry to yeah. the park. So he's just like, he had very little, if anything, except for some damn dignity. And he couldn't bring himself to hand that through the driver's side window, which I just really stood out to me when later, when they're in the car and they've picked up Mallory and, Gansey says ignominy, mm. right? And no, um, Adam's like on page four, no one knows what that means, Gansey, he muttered. And then Mallory said disgrace, destruction of dignity. That mm. callback to the fact that Adam was the one, no one knows what that means. And Mallory's like, it's destruction of dignity, which is like Adam's whole thing. I kind of yeah. loved that symbiosis between those things. But yeah. That's such a good point. I always think of when later when they all go and Blue kicks in money. For this particular because I think it's Blue and Noah and Adam who make that return trip together. And Blue kicks in five dollars and says, This is my contribution. And he's like, Oh, I have to take it because it's it's the right thing to do because it's blue. <laughs> blue is also poor. Like they're on the same level, so it's okay. But I also think that there's growth in him just being like, I'm not gonna argue the point. I'm like, yes, we can do this. I wondered if there was something in the loss of perspective. Because we see Persephone, mm. right? And she says she's only interested in the important things, so she loses sense of her age or like people's yeah. names. She's like, These things aren't important. And that's juxtapo- juxtaposed against Adam, who is mainly concerned with his own interior life. And how both of those things, those perspectives limit you in different ways, but they are limiting because you are so focused. Well, they're the same in that way, right? What's what's that? I don't remember what page it's on, but, you know, Persephone 
there's a note where it's coming from her perspective, but she says group projects on the whole were not her thing. Yeah. And then later you have on page 28, Adam, even in a group, he was slowly perfecting the skill of holding himself separate. And like the point is that mm. like you can do things by yourself, but you actually need community to live like you need community. And both of them sort of function fine without community, but they're not going for that community. Like it's not their native state to seek it out. Yeah. And I mean, like it's hard same. Nothing I hate more than a group project. I see you, Persephone. I get it. But it is an interesting point that she makes when she does so much of her work with Kella and Mora, which is arguably a group project. Yeah, 100%. Because when it's in community with people that you care about, it doesn't feel as much like a group project than if you're just with strangers trying to get a common goal achieved, right? It's like when the connection is good, you can you can give up those parts of yourself. It doesn't feel like work. Yeah. Well, maybe you're right. It's more about being willing to make the sacrifice when you have the connection that doesn't feel like a sacrifice. It doesn't feel like you're losing a part of yourself. Yeah, like when you can trust the people that you're with to be vulnerable with them or to not be perfect or not be the most capable one. Mm. And Adam still isn't sure that he can, which is why I think Gansey having his, quote, cowardly moment is so important to Adam. Like, it's so important because it makes Adam realize that, like, Gansey actually walks around with the full complement of human emotions, the same as him. <laughs> and, like, no amount of money can prevent him from being scared of being stung to death by wasps. Yeah. It doesn't actually protect him. Um, can we talk about the way that everybody in the cave is yelling at Caveswater when Gansey falls in the pit? Because I love that part. <laughs> I thought that was a really highlight of their connection mm. to Caves Water, right? And they all, like, have this thing where they're like, you owe me this. And also just Ronan just going all out there being like, if you let him die, it's not keeping oh me safe. Gosh. If they die, I die too. I'm like, okay, and it's, calm and it's down. not just Gansy. It's if they die. It's all of them. It's everyone there. If they die, I die too. And and Adam saying, what do you think I'm going to see for you if Gansy dies? And then Blue being like, you gotta keep helping us. We're helping you, but you have to help us. I love the connection they all have to Caveswater, but also just the way they dance around. Everyone kind of knows what Caveswater deal like deal is. Mm. Like it's seated so well. You know, Blue says maybe we all come here and fall asleep and have the same dream. Like, oh, I just I love it. It's beautiful. It is. And then they're literally connected by the mm. rope that saves them, right? Like literally connected. Yeah. I was thinking about the positioning of this, of like Gansey dangling off the edge in this unknown space. And that like they can't really see him, but they can hear him. But he's not able to talk. So there's a, like this unknown quant, like he's lost, right? He's connected, but he's lost. And then you have Adam and then Ronan in blue. And at, like Ronan is holding on to blue. And she thinks like, this is one of my favorite parts. Where, you know, he had not even hesitated before grabbing her. I can't let myself forget that. Page 22. Um, and Adam is on mm. his face in the dirt, like so relieved that Gansy's alive. Like he actually puts his face into the ground because he's like, oh my gosh, he's alive. So there's this interesting parallel of like Ronan holding everyone being their anchor in this dream space. Blue being the one who's like, well, I'm small enough to get around and see. Adam being on the ground and you know Gansey's just in this pit like dangling afraid I know something really beautiful about the visual like it's I'd like to tease it out a bit more I'd like to think about it a little bit more because it means a lot there's something about the way that they're set up that they're connected that is important yeah it kind of reflects their roles Mm. in the the greater scheme of things right and how they they all play their parts in the end and what brings them to this point and even when Blue says you know I'm gonna go have a look Ronan can you be the anchor can you anchor yourself and he's like yeah of course he can yeah what he does he is the anchor my boy welcome to the Ronan Lynch appreciation hour (laughs) (laughs) I am also a Ronan Lynch appreciator so I do appreciate his role there he is the anchor he's the anchor and and Adam is the line he's literally on the line he is the line and Gansey's the fearless explorer who's 
in mortal peril. But Blue's the one who mm. sasses him to get him to climb his way back up, which I love. It cracks me up that she's like, Ronan's going home. Adam's in the mud. I'm mad at you. Get up. Like, I just, sometimes you do just need to be told. And I love that she's just telling him. Yeah, and just like distracting someone from the horrors mm. that they're facing, right? It helps. Yeah. This is why whenever I go to the dentist, I'm like, can you just narrate what you're doing? I just want to know. Because if I can lose myself in the technical details, I'm not going to be as freaked out by the fact that I'm like lying on a chair, completely vulnerable to someone sticking their hands in my mouth. Oh, gosh, no. I know. I don't want to know. I need to. Oh, really? I need to dissociate. I have no interest in knowing. No, I want to know. I want to hear like (laughs) what kind of drill this is, what it's going to do. When did you get it? What's next? I want to hear it all. Because then I am. Then I have context. Yeesh. I also have to watch when they take my blood. I need to watch that they're taking it. Oh, no. No. I'm not watching anything coming in or out. When they were giving me my tetanus shot, I was like, absolutely not. I have to know. I have to make sure it's the real shot. I'm very paranoid. I don't even watch my tattoo being done. I would want to watch that. That would be cool. When Sarah got her, Sarah has a little omega on her foot. When she got her tattooed and I was there with her and it was really cool to watch. I just don't need to know. I've, I've paid professionals. That's fine. That My job's done. They show you the artwork beforehand. That's all you need to see. Now I'm zo- vibing. I just need to vibe now to get through it. That's all I hmm. need to do. It must be your neurodivergence. Yeah, could be. I had a lot of anxiety, especially when I was younger. And so like knowledge helps to mitigate that anxiety. I think if I know what's coming, I'm less anxious about it. But also, I just think things are cool. Like I just am interested in learning about all sorts of things. That's why Gansey is my favorite secretly, because he also thinks all these things are cool and he just wants to know about all of them. It really stood out to me how Gansey is just so attuned to, he's like one of those people who just wants everyone to be comfortable Mm -hmm. in any environment. He is saying whatever he needs to do to make it happen. Like he's such a Hufflepuff, you know, he's just like, oh God, I'm going to overcompensate. I need to make sure that everyone is like happy. Mm. Like he says things to make Adam laugh and he does things to like make Blue feel comfortable and he's doing things to make Mallory feel, and I'm like, you need to chill, my dude. (laughs) So anxious, anxious little bean. He is very anxious. I think he is more anxious about Blue and him forming a relationship than Blue is. I think Blue's worried that she doesn't want to hurt Adam. But I think he's worried about all of them being upset by it. He's worried about it changing what feels like a very fraught relationship. Because Adam is still not quite on board yet. He hasn't, like, it gets better by the end of the book. But it, it has, it's, they're still in the rough patch right now. So that, like, this, the reason this is my favorite book is because the group mends itself a lot. And, and we get to see that in action, which I just love. I love it when people work hard for their relationships, Jen. It's just it's my favorite. <laughs> Did you have any more loss or connection? I've done all mine. Uh, yeah, I think I just wanted a second that Kala and Persephone are both feeling more as loss, but in different ways. I like that Kala is angry about it and Persephone is like just kind of noticing it and feeling it. And then she makes this weird... Oh, he'll be a good replacement. No, not replacement. Rescue comment. Like she knows that Mora needs to be fetched, but she isn't sure about what's going to happen. And then this is the start of her making this enormous long limbed sweater, which shows up later in the book. So I just wanted to, I think that's a tangential thing more that the sweater is, it, mm. it, it starts. I love when we see these things, how they come to light. Um, and yeah. I think the only other thing I wanted to point out was the connection between the Mob Derrigan tapestry and Blue. Because, the, you know, these women yeah. from this tapestry, this ancient tapestry, have her face. And they're all like, oh, that's Blue. Like, that is Blue's face. Which is fantastic because it gives Blue a connection to something. Like, she's been part of this the whole time without realizing it. Which I love. I love that she gets to feel like, yes, I'm actually meant to be doing this. I'm meant to be here. Yeah. So what about you? Did you have any more connection or loss? 
No, that's all of mine. Just the usual, you know, connected to the ley line nonsense um, carries on yeah. as per usual. I had quite a fair bit of tangential. Oh, yeah. Crack into it. One whole section that I've called Ronan in all caps because <laughs> nice. I adore him. Yes, as you should. I love when he's like, I know, I know when I'm dreaming and when I'm awake. And I'm like, do you though? Because later, and I love that Adam calls him out on this where he's like, do mm. you? And I'm like, because later... We will see you have a full-scale existential breakdown about this, which I am very much here for. Mm. But, yeah. He's like, on page 13, when he says, if he didn't know the difference between waking and sleeping, it was because the difference didn't matter to him, which I actually really love. And I love that we see these little similarities between Blue and Ronan as well. I love that there's like a real budding connection between them in this book. But when she says on page 21, you know, that she didn't want Capes water to serve up a copy of Mora. She only wanted the real thing, the truth. And I'm like, that yeah. is such a Ronan thing to say. Yeah. Um, and I also just love when he's like, I figured after the events of the summer, all this was self-evident, which is why I summed it up before like so. Ronan repeated the noise of glorious <laughs> disdain. <laughs> which is literally me at work when people are like, why did you do that? I'm like, well, I feel like it's pretty self-explanatory why I did yes. that. But okay, like, let's get into it. But <laughs> do you need me to tell you? <laughs> and then when he's just... He's so sassy with Mallory when he's like, oh, of course, echoed Ronan sarcastically. Of course, Owen Lagoff. <laughs> like, the question that you were going to ask but didn't was, you know, yes, it is on the ley line. He's like, that is yeah. exactly the question I was going to ask. <laughs> so good. Um, the thing with the blue lilies, the, the flowers mm. falling in, in Cave's water and how, you know, on page 15 it says, as his lips parted, a petal landed directly on his mouth. The way that... Cape's water gives Blue the kiss that she can't give him herself. Amazing. So um, of course, longer. we've got the classic Ronan and Adam situ where he's like, maybe I dreamt you. And then he's like, thanks for the straight teeth then. I love that. I would have loved to have straight teeth as a kid. I will tell you that was definitely something that I felt very badly about when I was younger. So I love that Adam already has a beautiful smile. That will make his life a lot easier. I honestly... I was very paranoid for a very long time that it was going to transpire that Adam was a dream thing yeah. and I was just going to have to set the world on yeah. fire. Um, Ronan style. The other thing I loved is page 38 when Gansey is like trying to, they picked up Mallory and everything yeah. is just kind of awkward and weird. And he's like, Ronan was trying to ca- meaningfully catch Gansey's eye, but Gansey wouldn't let him. And then he avoided another meaningful look. And then Gansey avoided a third meaningful <laughs> look. And then Gansey allowed to exchange, allowed Blue to exchange a meaningful glance with him. I'm like, ah. Oh, you allow Blue mm-hmm. to do it, but with Ronan, you're like, don't, don't make eye contact. Yeah, that's because Ronan don't was being a—I won't say the actual word, but a dirtbag. We'll say that Ronan was being a bit of—he's <laughs> not wrong though in that situation. I feel like <laughs> that was a lot, and all because of Gansey's pride, because yeah. he's like, I have to go in the Camaro. Yeah, I love that, and that was to me a big part of the connection that he wanted Mallory to see him as he is. Like he wanted to see the connection that he had. Not with the the boy that Gansey was, who was, as we know, like quite nervous and had panic attacks and just left one day, you know, like they didn't do goodbye. So he just left and he wants, he wants Mallory now to see him as connected to people and better. And the Camaro is like the physical, visual, um, I don't know, signifier for that. And I love that he admits that. And then I love that he abandons his spare tire. That was on my tangential that he was like, this is the price <laughs> for my folly. <laughs> like, I hope you never get a flat, my friend so funny what other tangential did you have Um, i would like to find this tapestry i don't know if it's real i did a bit of googling but i really want to find it this i love the way it's described that 
that you know Mallory's setting up this really beautiful story and then he's like but you don't understand it was me I was the one who saw the barn walls weeping and I was at this holiday house and this was in the barn at the holiday house like I wasn't even meant to be here I'm not even supposed to be here today you know I really want to see this tapestry and I would like to know if I could recreate it and that's just because I'm a textile person but that's that's the other Mm. tangential thing I had was I want to see Blue's face in this tapestry and then make it myself because I think that would be fun Oh, I'd love mm. that. What a great project. Uh, there's an author called Lynn Kelly, and she wrote a book called The Memory Code, which is about how to, like, memorize things if you have a bad memory. It sort of gives you, like, different ways. And one of the things she's talked about is how people would make memory quilts and, like, you associate certain things with those. And I was like, I would love to do, like, the Bayou Tapestry of my own life as a way of remembering things for a longer period of time. Because as you're stitching, you sit and you think about it, and you're, like, imbuing it with that memory. And you're telling a story and like you're building that memory into something more solid, which I love. Mm. So it'd be nice to do that with these books, like just listen to them as I'm stitching away on something, maybe. Hmm. Yeah. All of my quilts are TV shows because I usually binge something while I'm quilting. So I think it would be fun to do an audio book that or an audio book series that is also something connected to the text. But yeah, that's a very tangential tangent. Um, and I think the other thing I loved was that Blue goes outside of her room and listens. Like that was something that really caught my ear because you heard, you hear Mallory later saying, oh, well, he'll hear the king before anyone else does. This Gansey, you know, he has an ear, but it's Blue earlier in the, in the section who goes outside of her room and listens and she hears Kala angrily watching TV and she hears Orla doing a chakra cleansing in the front yard or whatever and then she hears Persephone kind of sighing a little bit and that's where she decides to go like she finds the quietest sound and follows it and I kind of love that love that that parallel is there Mm. I try to limit myself to like five this time because I was like I have to be reasonable it is hard it's a hard thing to do especially when it's so good there was a whole section with like I was like underlining like foreshadowing and just feel the craft in this book in a way that I just love Yet more from it each time you read. Did you have an in-depth marginalia? I do. Okay, I'm going back to bluesy. I'm sorry. So on page 54, <laughs> Gansey thought of his fingers on blues and how foolish such a gesture had been. This equilibrium was so hard won. He preferred being foolish, but he couldn't keep on that way. Um, 100% agree, Gansey. So here they are feeling their connection deepen, but he is not willing to risk the loss of the friend group dynamics in order to pursue this connection. I mean, and also, like, if they ever kissed, he would die. So, you know, I think he's cognizant of that as well. So that's how it ties into the themes. But um, what it reminded me of was the missed connections page on Craigslist. It predated Craigslist and want ads where you could, like, put up a missed connection. Like, oh, I saw, you know, a brown-haired girl on the bus, and she had bright eyes, and she smiled at me twice. And I just wondered if she saw me, too. And then, like, you would look to see if they had put an ad up, you know, to to you know to respond to that misconnection it's this really hopeful thing of like seeking out connection with strangers the the way I thought of it was like maybe this wistfulness that we have we want to connect with people but there's this loss inherent to that as well right like if you don't have relationships in your own life or if you're not willing to deepen or strengthen those relationships then are you looking for other people are you after more connections or are you after a better connection or are you after a different connection it just made me think about the nature of all the connections in my life and like how I I'm able to love so many people in so many different ways but it it definitely 
also reminded me that there were people that I missed out on and I'm so sad about that. I think I always will be. And yeah, I don't know. It's hard to know what to do to go deeper or to let a friendship kind of trickle away. Sometimes it is for a season and that's okay. But I also feel like we should always try. We should always try. Mm. We should always reach. Hold those hands. If it makes you happy, that still happens. Sometimes I see it on Facebook groups I'm on where it's like, hey, if you're the girl I saw on the bus, like I feel like we made eye contact and there was something. So if that's you, can you reach out to me? Oh, I love that. Or like a girl would be like, I really like the guy who delivered my pizza. If you work for this company and you delivered a pizza, let me know. I just think sometimes it still happens. Oh, I love that. I love that there's still misconnections. People are, I, this is this is the one good thing about social media is we can now do misconnections in a nice way. I mean, yeah, and social media is quite good at this. Like when someone finds a toy, like a stuffed rabbit on the underground and like help me reunite this with the yeah. owner, you know, like stuff like that. It's really yeah. sweet. I was, um, I was on Instagram the other day and Carson Ellis, who's an illustrator I really love, she left her wallet in Tokyo and it was at the airport and she was like I have to pick it up physically but I'm back in the US can anybody let me know if they're going through Haneda and like a hundred people instantly were like I'm there next week I'm there right now like my brother lives there I'll send him over like she had so many people who were like instantly I will get your wallet and send it to you and it was just really beautiful that everyone was like oh we can help we can help this is something we can do it's nice when you can see humans just being good does it outweigh the destruction of democracy that social media has wielded upon the world? Unclear. <laughs> no. The jury is out. <laughs> no, you can have social media not be gross and weird, um, but it is mostly gross and weird. But there are good things too, like in everything. <laughs> the human condition. It's complicated, baby. Mm. So how about you? Did you have in-depth? I sure did. Mm-hmm. And it's like very early on in the section. It's on page mm. three. And it's when... Persephone is standing on the mountaintop with Adam and she's like teaching him how to find a ley line, but he already knows mm. how to do it because YOLO. And, you know, she's looking for some sense of more. She's trying to find some yeah. thread. And she says on page three, Persephone gently and unsuccessfully attempted to find the bright strand of Mora's existence in the tangled threads of energy. Mm. I think it's lost literally because they've lost yeah. Mora and they're trying to find mm. her. And our energy is lost in the noise of all this other mm. energy and all this life, right? But metaphorically, I think there's loss here in the way losing someone or something can cause us to lose perspective and sense of ourselves too. Like in that mess of feeling, in that mess of like having to go through life, it's hard to find the meaning or remember that original thing that you lost in a lot of ways. Like you kind of lose track of it. And I think obviously it's connection because everything is connected. But also it speaks to the connection between Mora and Persephone and Kala, like that bond they have. What it actually reminded me of as the fates in Greek mythology, Mm. and particularly the depiction in Hercules, the Disney film. So the idea is that Clotho spins the thread of a human's life. Lachesis dispensed it, and she decided the length of it, and then Atropos cut it, so that would end someone's life. And in Hercules, the threads of humans are like dull and black, but then when Hercules becomes a god through the final labor where he sacrifices himself to dive into the river sticks to save Mm. Megara's spirit, so it's like he's willing to sacrifice himself for a mortal, that allows him to transcend to godhood. And when he does that, his thread turns golden just as it's about to be cut. Mm. I just don't want, like this really vivid picture just came to me as I read this section because I love the idea of fate and destiny. But too often, I think people interpret that as just waiting around for things to happen to you. Yeah. Like, I think we all have an active part to play in shaping our own destiny and in creating the lives that we want. Hercules went after his, Mora is going after mm. hers. And I just want us all 
to go after ours as well. Like, just go all in. Chase the I dream. That. Become golden. Don't let your thread get cut. We're all heroes. Yeah. Also, can we talk about how good that movie is? Like, how many... So good. How many Disney <laughs> movies have, like, the boy as the sort of, like, blushing, fainting one? Uh, like, he's... Also, great soundtrack. Oh, like, baller I'm soundtrack. I'm sorry, like, Michael Bolton is actually amazing. Please explain. Anyway, so good. Hercules and Mulan, definitely best yeah. soundtracks. Oh, and The Lion King, obviously, but yeah. I mean, but, like, Elton John could, great. like, read the phone book and it would be great because he's just an amazing performer. Yeah, it shouldn't even be counted. Like, let's just park that one. That's a given. <laughs> But yeah. like, yeah, it's so Go good. The Distance we is one of my favorite it. songs. It's a great song. Yeah. Hey, uh, so which character do you want to spotlight? Ooh, I am going to spotlight Ronan because he loves everybody so much. And yet he is himself 100% of the time. He doesn't, he is like blue. He is not nice, but he is kind. And I love that. I just try to be nice all the time. And sometimes I actually feel like I achieve kindness. So I love people who are grumpy, but have a heart of gold. So it's Ronan for me this week, despite his thinking Mallory is old and singing the squash song and being generally reprehensible as usual. I love him. How about you? Who are you spotlighting this week? Well, clearly the world's turned upside down because <laughs> I am spotlighting Daisy this week. Because I just be think he's such... An anxious little bean, mm. and he's like meshing his friend groups, and he doesn't know how it's going. He's got these feelings for this girl, and he doesn't know what he's doing, and everything is just a lot, oh, a lot of bless. the time. I just think he needs a nice, calming bath, perhaps, and just some <laughs> zen time where he doesn't have to worry about things. Like, yeah. may I prescribe a candle, bath bombs, have a chill time, Yenzi? It's great. Having a Calm bath down. in his kitchen. I think the kitchen is also the bathroom, right? Oh, Lord. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> There's no way they've got a bathtub in there. You can get shower bombs, though. They're a thing. Like, just chuck that in the shower. They Calm need down. to put a bathtub somewhere in Monmouth. Like, that's that's actually oh, what just we need. Put it in front of the windows. It'll be delightful. Like, an old clawfoot tub. Like, just in front of those massive windows. Yeah, that would be the dream. It'd be good for his insomnia, too, if he could just, like, be in the bath. Yeah, for sure. Just saying. Yeah. I love that. Uh, baths for Gansey. That should be a... We should make that a t-shirt. <laughs> um, do you have any homework for our listeners? Uh, yeah, actually. So I'm I'm in a bit of a book rut at mm. the moment. So that's very annoying. You know when you're reading books and like, they're fine. Yeah. They're not bad enough that I'm not going to keep reading them. They don't annoy me, but I just don't feel anything. Mm. And it's really annoying. But I'm currently reading Detransition Baby by Tori mm. Peters, which is actually really interesting. And a really tender depiction of like gender and trans Aww. life and the trans experience. So I'm really enjoying that and I would recommend that. I've also given in and started watching Succession because like the reviews coming out about the final season have been off the charts. So I'm like, fine, I will watch it. And I'm also watching The West Wing for the first time. So it's yes. really interesting to watch these ensemble cast mm. run parallel to each other. One where people are just reprehensible and that's the point. Yep. And one where people are just like good and trying to do yep. good and that's the point. And I'm like, <laughs> what is happening? So great. Would I recommend both of those? Um, and then, of course, I may have already mentioned this, but there is a new Fall Out Boy album out and it is an absolute joy. Very big disco themes. Well worth the mm. time. And like it's got a great line, which I feel is really sums up my life right now, where it's like everything is lit except my serotonin, which is true. <laughs> that is correct. How about you? Do you have any homework? I do. I do have some homework. So as I mentioned, I have been reading Agatha Christie 
because I think I'm also in a reading route where I just don't want to read anything that like takes a lot of mental energy um but I'm finding them so readable and just delightful and like yeah there are some hella problematic parts of them and you're just like wow this was written in the 50s in England okay or you know before but I also really love the characters and um like the further along I get in the series with each person so I've read all of the Miss Marple and now I'm on to four row the more I'm like oh I love that we get we get more and more of the characters we go along I think she's really skilled at writing books um with different devices but are still in the same cohesive grouping so like I just read the one murder in Mesopotamia which is from the perspective of the nurse and like usually Mm. they're from someone else or Hastings who I like love and don't love because Hastings is just absolutely he's Hugh Laurie in my mind um (laughs) but yeah like it's I actually really am enjoying them and I'm enjoying that they don't take a lot of effort and I can just read and read and download the next one and read and read and download the next one. So highly recommend, especially Miss Marple, because she's very timid and lovely, but she always solves it in the end. So yeah, that's what I've been doing with my time. Mm, cute. Love that. Um, Next week, we're going to be reading chapters six through 10 through the theme of family. Big theme. I know, big theme. So it's going to be interesting to cover that and see how this little weirdo family of a uh, of ragtag misfit explorers it's getting on um thank you so much for a lovely saturday evening as always yes thank you i'm glad we were able to get started on this book and i don't know it's just a good end to the week it's been a kind of a confusing and hectic week so i'm glad that we got to just sit down and chat about our little raven family draw a line under the week we can start again tomorrow new week new us who this exactly (laughs) i'm gonna go make dinner and it's gonna be delicious and that is going to be great love that i shall do the same (laughs) all right thank you jen all right love you leave you too see you next week thank you for joining us today marginalia pod is written edited and produced by us jen d and jen v We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to hello at marginaliapod.com, check out our Instagram, or maybe dash off a quick review. You can also subscribe so you never miss an episode. Our music is by Scott Buckley, and the logo artwork is by Laura Cato. You can find detailed show notes for each episode and much more at our website www.marginaliapod.com. Special thanks to all the people in our various communities whose love and care sustains us. Without your support, we would be very sad little critters. We appreciate you. And to you, our wonderful listeners, thanks again for being here. We love spending this time with you. 